smiling faces out there. Good to see you guys. Good to have you here. My name's Jeff. I serve as the pastor here. Uh, and before we jump in, um, we're actually going to go straight from Annika's prayer into another prayer. I'm going to do a pastoral prayer this morning. Uh, I, don't, I haven't done this for a while, actually, but I did a couple hospital visits this week. Uh, there's, there's things going on in our church family, so I'd like to pray for our church family. But then even as I say family and church family, uh, those of you who know Jesus know that you enter into his global family. So I want to pray for our brothers and sisters who are on the other side of the ocean uh, dealing with circumstances that we are not dealing with this morning here in uh, DeKalb, uh, Illinois. So I want to pray for what's happening in Ukraine. Um, and actually, we have missionary partners or friends, I heard from a few of you this week, that are either in Ukraine or in countries nearby. And so really, a lot of the prayer requests I'm going to pray for them come directly from people who are there right now. So let's take a little longer prayer this morning, but if you'll bow your heads with me. Uh, it's a lot to ask from Jesus this morning. Uh, Jesus, we've begun this morning by singing of you and singing to you. We lift your name high and we will continue to do that this morning and hopefully the rest of today and the rest of this week and the rest of our lives. Uh, we know you as our Lord, as our Savior, and as the great physician. And so first I do want to lift up a lot of prayer requests in our, in our local church family here. Uh, Jesus, you know that several of us are dealing with real medical situations and our body needs healing. And so we pray, Lord, that you would comfort us and care for us. And Lord, you know what we need most, and we trust that you will provide it. But God, I also know just what we face in the last two years. Uh, many of us are still dealing with emotional pain, relational tension, uh, mental illness. And so, Jesus, you are the God of all comfort. We need your comfort. We ask for that. Would you stir in our midst? But, Jesus, we don't want to be locally and selfish focused. We want to be aware of our brothers and sisters around the world. So we pray with them. We pray for missionary families as they have to make hard decisions about whether to leave the Ukraine or not. We pray for their friends to have wisdom in making decisions concerning the care and protection of their families. God, we ask that you would intervene and bring peace. We do pray for wisdom for world leaders and that you would move in their hearts and guide their plans. God, we know these are difficult times, but we do pray that you would bring good, even in the midst of evil. And that your gospel would go forth. It would bring hope to people. Jesus, we actually have friends of Crossview who are in Bulgaria and nearby countries. And we've been told of refugees fleeing to their country. And we pray for uh, just Jesus-like hospitality to those who are driven from their homes and have no place to, to lay their heads. We pray that for those in nearby countries who are now experiencing a heightened sense of fear that maybe their country will be invaded. My God, we know you as the God of peace and justice, and we pray for the people of Ukraine today. We pray for peace and the laying down of weapons. We pray for all those who fear for tomorrow that your spirit of comfort would draw near to them. 
We pray for those with power over war or peace, for wisdom, discernment, and compassion to guide their decisions. Above all, we pray for all of your precious children at risk and in fear, that you would hold and protect them. We pray in the name of Jesus because we know you as the Prince of Peace. Amen. All right, thanks for joining me in that prayer time. We're going to be in a really unique story this morning. We're in a series where we're going through the church calendar. We don't normally do this, but we're doing it this year if you're new to CrossFit. It's kind of a discipleship tool. I'll try to explain some of what we're doing with it as we go. But I grew up in a Lutheran church that actually kind of followed the church calendar every year. I didn't really understand it. I didn't really come alive to Jesus until college. But I, but I, I remember practicing the church calendar because I remember the altar and the priest, they would, or the pastor, they would always be changing the color for each season. They would always, and I always thought it was weird that Advent was blue and not red and green, but that is how it is. Anyway, so I remember like Epiphany. And I always remember Ash Wednesday and Lent. We're about to enter into Lent on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, that will get us all the way up to Easter. But I don't really remember much about the Transfiguration, which is the story we're going to look at today. Uh, Following the church calendar, the Transfiguration is always, there's kind of a three-year rotation, but the Transfiguration is always the gospel story the last Sunday before Lent begins. It always is. And I don't know, maybe you're newer to the Gospels, maybe you've read this a lot of times, but it's the kind of story that you would think a a young kid would remember. (laughs) It's a really unique, remarkable story about Jesus you're going to hear today. You're going to be like, whoa, that is an incredible story. I didn't know that happened. That's amazing. And I remember, for those of you who have been a part of the Crossview family a little longer, I did a series two or three years ago called More Than Moses. And I did a little bit of a deeper dive into the transfiguration because Moses shows up in this story. You'll see it's an incredible, remarkable story. And I remember I learned so much. There's so much I didn't know just spending that week just learning, reading all these things about the transfiguration. And one of you, I won't say who, but you probably remember one of you, it was either that Sunday or later that week, we're like, Jeff, how did I not know all that? The transfiguration, that's an incredible story. How did I not know any of that? It seems really important. I was like, it is. We need to talk about it more. It's really important. And so I'm going to give you, I mean, we'll do a little bit. I'm going to do it differently than I did last time. And I'm going to look, you'll see, I'm going to look a little bit more through the lens of the three disciples who were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So you'll see what we're going to do when we get there. But, uh, but we're going to look at some of the kind of the, the ripple effect. It's important, but what, how does this then spread out and what does it do for us today? So if you want to join me in your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 9, or you can follow along, verse 28. It's The story also appears slightly different, right, in each of the synoptic gospels, but it's in Mark chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 17, but we're going to read in Luke chapter 9. Uh, Verse 28, about eight days later, and we'll come back to that when we kind of get to the end. About eight days later, we'll set up the context, Jesus took Peter, John, and James. So we're going to try to understand this experience through the eyes of Peter, John, and James. He took them up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, while he was praying, Luke says that often. Jesus is always doing stuff as he was praying. We can learn from that. As he was praying, Luke says the appearance of his face was transformed. Now that can mean a couple different things, right? What does it mean that his face was transformed? Well, Matthew gives us a little bit more detail. Matthew says his face shone like the sun. In other words, something is going on and the glory of Jesus is not contained. There is literally, and we'll talk about this this morning, there is literally light 
pouring out, emanating through the pores of Jesus' skin. I mean, you've probably seen some TV or movies, or I even think of a commercial lately with a fitness club of people walking out with this glow. Like Jesus is just emanating light. You've got to imagine that's what's happened. It's a remarkable story. It's, how did I not remember the story? And his clothes became dazzling white. I love that word, dazzling. I just popped it into Google. This is the first thing that popped up. Extremely bright, especially so as to blind the eyes temporarily. That's what, this is a very, I'll say it, sensational story in the sense that our senses are fully engaged. If you enter into the story, you're blinded by the light. It's blinding. It's dazzling. And you're going to hear a voice and you're going to feel a cloud. There's so much going on that engages our senses. It's a remarkable story. And suddenly two men appear, but not just any men. Moses and Elijah. Are you kidding me? There they are. And they appeared and they began talking with Jesus. And they were glorious to see because there's glory everywhere in this. this is, I mean, in many ways, we won't talk about this as much, but we could. I mean, you could take this and go straight to Romans 8. This is a foretaste of the glorification that is going to come as God renews all of creation. Just gives us a hint, a picture. Should whet your appetite, get you excited. Uh, we, could, we could talk about that another day. But, but it's glorious to see. And Luke gives us a detail that the others don't give us. They were speaking about his exodus, or your translation may say his departure, but the Greek word is exodus. It, it really is a new exodus. We are being liberated from our bondage to sin and death. And Moses and Elijah always had an idea that God is king and God is going to do something amazing, but they didn't know how. We'll talk about that. They only got part of the revelation. Jesus is the full revelation. And so they're just amazing. They're here. This is how you're going to do it? Jesus is amazing. It's amazing. I had no idea. I never, I never would have guessed it. Yeah, yeah, I guess Isaiah had some hints. I never, I just didn't know, you know. Moses and Elijah talking about the departure, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. And then, and I, I may come back to this at the very end when I pray, but we'll talk about following Jesus. Hopefully this makes you feel, I mean, it's hard to follow Jesus, right? <laughs> and so the disciples are always being pointed out where they, you know, they struggle a little bit. It's not the first time that, or maybe not, it's not the only time in the Gospels where Jesus is praying and the disciples are sleeping. That's what they're doing. So Peter and the others had fallen asleep. But imagine this. You're sleeping, and then you wake up, and you're on this mountain, and it's really bright, and you're like, is the sun on the mountain? And then you're like, wait a minute, that's Jesus. And Moses and Elijah, they wake up to this, right? They see Jesus' glory and the two standing with them. And Moses and Elijah, apparently they had had their conversation, and they start to leave. And Peter, and I, I told you, I, I, I relate to Peter, because I think he's a verbal processor. I'm a verbal processor. He wakes up, he's like half asleep, he's like taking this in. And, oh, I got an idea, wait, let's build three tents. Master, it's wonderful to be here. Let's build one for you, Moses, and Elijah. It's the first thing Peter thought, he thought it was a good idea. We don't know everything going through his mind, but, but Peter is longing for the kingdom to come. He knows Jesus is bringing the kingdom. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. And there are all kinds of things in the Old Testament that get you prepared for what to expect when the kingdom comes. And Peter knows, well, Moses himself had talked about a prophet who would come. There's going to be a prophet who's there when the kingdom comes. And of course, you know, the priesthood has been corrupted, but maybe it'll be renewed and redeemed. Maybe there will be a a, a new priest to lead in the kingdom. And then, of course, there's got to be a king if there's a kingdom. 
we need three people, prophet, priest, and king, and I, I don't know who's going to be what, but, but we got three amazing people here. <laughs> Maybe the kingdom is coming right now. now. I think Peter thought it was a really good idea as he blurted it out until he realized it wasn't. <laughs> because all of a sudden there was this cloud that overshadowed them. And then they were gripped by terror. Peter, I take it back. And this cloud covered them. And then a voice from the cloud said, this is my son. The father speaking. This is my son. Echoes of the baptism of Jesus. This is my chosen one. This is my beloved one. My one and only son. What does the father say? Listen to him. Now, you've got to take this in. It's a very sensational, right? bright light, gleaming light, loud voice, Moses, Elijah, t- a cloud all around. You're feeling terror. Voice finishes, and then all of a sudden, everything's gone but Jesus. Cloud's gone. Peter, Peter John, and James are there. Moses and Elijah are just gone. It's just Jesus. And, and the echoing of listen to him, listen to him, listen to him. When the voice finished, verse 36, Jesus was there alone. And it says, Peter, John, and James didn't tell anybody about this at the time. Which kind of captured my attention when I was writing. How could this happen and you not tell anybody? This is amazing. I mean, I'd be running down the mountain. You gotta, you gotta, I gotta hear what just happened. You might not believe me, but I gotta tell you. Right? But they don't tell anybody. But I know it impacted them. I know it impacted them. So what's going on? What's going on here? Well, let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, One author is kind of summarizing. We'll we'll talk about Moses and Elijah first, and then we'll get to Peter, John, and James. One author says this, why Moses and Elijah? What's going on? He says, well, in my view, the main point is that Jesus turns out to be not in the same category as Moses and Elijah, but decisively distinguished from them. Peter makes the mistake of thinking that all three are, as it were, on the same level. I mean, Moses is amazing. Elijah is amazing. Now Jesus, they're all on the same level. Because in, in Peter's mind, for, for Jesus to be as great and glorious as Moses and Elijah would be stupendous enough, right? But if these are Peter's thoughts, they are quickly and sharply contradicted by the divine voice. Because the divine voice completely ignores Moses and Elijah. Don't worry about them. Moses and Elijah, and in many ways they're representing, they're, aren't they? They're representing the law and the prophets. They're kind of summarizing the Old Testament story, this part of salvation history that gets us from creation to the time of coming of Jesus. But I've said this before, the Old Testament is a story without an ending. And the purpose, what the Old Testament is doing, the law and the prophets, is preparing us for Jesus, is pointing us to Jesus, is bearing witness to Jesus. It's very important. Read your Old Testament. It's very important. But what is being said here is the father is saying, look, if you've got Jesus, you've got all you need. If Moses and Elijah were permitted to speak and Peter, John, and James were like, no, no, we want want to hear something from Moses. They'd be like, no, no, anything we have to say, Jesus will say clearer and better. If you want to know, we, we said a lot of good things, but we were just preparing. If you listen to Jesus, that's all you need to hear. Jesus is what the father has to say. Sometimes I like to say Jesus is perfect theology. Everything you need, you find in Jesus. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's, that's a major impact of what's happening at the transfiguration. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. 
But let's get into this. Peter, John, and James, they're told to listen to him because he is everything. Everything that God wants to say, he said in Jesus in the clearest way he can. But he's also, I think, in a sense saying, but you still have much to learn. You still have much to learn. So keep listening to Jesus. Well, Peter, John, and James, they, they told no one at the time, but they never forgot what happened. Now, Peter's easier. This is one of the reasons I started thinking about this. Peter never forgot about the transfiguration because he wrote about it. You may not know this, but if you want to turn in your Bibles or follow along, we'll go to 2 Peter chapter 1. This is what Peter says. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw light emanating from his body. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said, this is my dearly beloved son, my chosen one who brings me great joy. Peter says, we ourselves heard the voice from heaven. We were with them on the holy mountain. We were there. We didn't tell anybody at the time, but now we're telling you we were there. We saw this. And notice what he says in verse 19. It's kind of what I was just saying. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. I mean, you read the stories in the Old Testament. We literally met Moses and Elijah. They're telling the truth. (laughs) I mean, read your Old Testament. Read your Bible. It's real. I mean, more than ever, we're all in on that message that was proclaimed. Pay close attention. But look, look at what he says. Pay close attention. To what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. You've been in a dark place before. A lamp will help guide you. You've been in your car at night. You turn on your headlights. Those are lamps pointing out so you know where to go. But what does Peter say next? He says, you follow that lamp until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your heart. Because Christ is the morning. He's the dawn of a new day. And when that day dawns, you don't need lamps anymore. I mean, you can have it lit, but it doesn't do you any good. You can drive around with your headlights on. Maybe it'll help other people see you, but you don't need them to see because the sun has dawned. It's a new day. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the light of the new day. And Peter seems to be telling us, look, wait, pay close attention. Watch for Jesus, the morning star, because he's shining in your hearts. Let's talk a little bit about that. Jesus is the bright and morning star. He's the rising star that if followed will lead us out of spiritual darkness, out of death and into life and salvation. And the star of Christ is always rising in the hearts of those who pay attention to it. Peter seems to be saying you would do well to pay attention to that star as it shines in your heart. Pay attention to the word of God in your life. Pay attention to Jesus. If you can learn to seek Jesus in the midst of your own present darkness, then Christ, the morning star, will rise in your hearts and he will shine in your hearts and you will experience, personally, you will experience the living Christ. We are in the season of epiphany. You will have your own epiphany. It's actually one of the things that we want to cultivate here at Crossview. We want to be the kind of church where we have stories to tell that we literally can't tell without mentioning the name of Jesus. Stuff happens in our life and like 
Whether you're a believer or not, I can't even, I just can't tell you about what happened without mentioning Jesus because he's real, because he's alive, because Christ the morning star is shining in my heart. (laughs) It's part of being a Christian and knowing our resurrected king. Or maybe another way of talking about this morning star is to reflect a little bit. Let's think about the North Star. I don't know a ton about all the constellations, but I just typed in North Star into in the Google this morning. And, and, and well, earlier this week, I guess, wasn't just this morning. But it, but it comes up, the, the North Star, is why, it says, why is it significant? So I clicked on it. It's significant because the North Star doesn't really move in our skies. It's fixed. And that's why it's so important. If you have your eyes set on the North Star, then you, your compass is set in the right direction. You know where you're going. You know where true north is. And yet, it's so easy because there's other stars in the sky. And some of them are maybe easier to find. They're brighter, they're shinier. Maybe they're moving. And it's easy for us to focus on some of these other stars. And maybe, maybe as, as they're moving, at times they're pointed in good directions and we start following. Maybe even when they're in line with the North Star, we start following, but they, they wander through the sky. And we start to follow these other stars. And we lose our sense of true north. And all of a sudden we're lost and alone in the darkness. But Christ is our fixed star. He's the true morning star. And you and I, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. <laughs> Don't get lost with these, with these wandering stars. We talk about these wandering stars. You can talk about them as idols. And what do we talk about with idols? Idols are the things in your life that make all kinds of promises. They promise you peace. They promise you joy. They promise you prosperity. They promise you happiness. They promise you life, and they never deliver. And sometimes it takes a long time to realize that. So you focus on the star, it's become an idol, and it's made all these promises, and you're just wandering, wandering, and all of a sudden you realize everything you thought you were going to receive, you don't receive any of it because you've been lied to. Well, Jesus is the true morning star. He's the north star. And if you keep your eyes gazed on him, if you allow him to shine in your hearts, what does Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom, and everything else you long for will be added. Everything else your soul truly wants and needs. So we keep our eyes on Jesus. We let the morning star of Jesus shine in our hearts. We don't use Jesus to point us to another cause or agenda. That's correct for a moment because that other cause or agenda is a wandering star and it'll lead us to places we don't want to go. No, we locate Jesus and we keep our eyes on Jesus as the light of the world and then everything else will fall into place. What you're looking for deep down, if you can trust a pastor this morning. But I believe what you're looking for, what I'm looking for, what we're all looking for is Jesus. Jesus is everything we're looking for. It doesn't mean we won't have hard times, but, but, but we'll find Jesus. We'll locate Jesus and we'll find what we're truly looking for and Jesus will be sufficient. Jesus will be enough. He is what you and I need. And I was thinking about the morning star shining in my heart. And I think I, had two, I think I had two experiences this week of personally kind of encountering Jesus to a degree. The first was Thursday morning here at church. I'm in a small group and we have been reading through the Gospels. And now we're reading a book about Jesus giving us a broader context for his life and ministry. We have great conversation. I love it. 
And one of the guys, it's 6.45 in the morning, and I'm still kind of waking up, but one of the guys comes, he's already jazzed, you know, he's so excited. And he's talking about Jesus and what he's doing in his life and who Jesus is and why Jesus is so great. And I could just feel, I could say it a couple different ways. I could say, I could feel my soul just being lifted up. I could feel, I could say I could feel the breath of God just being breathed. I could feel joy and peace just throughout my whole body. Or I could say, I could feel the light of Christ shining on my heart. (laughs) And I actually even said, because I'd been thinking about it, I heard a pastor say not that long ago that any time, and I'm going to try in a variety of ways to preach to you this morning the good news. Any time the good news of Jesus Christ is declared, is announced, you and I, wherever we're at in our spiritual journey, whether it's for the first time or for the millionth time, whenever we hear the good news proclaimed, we have the capacity to respond in faith. And Thursday morning I was here, and I just heard a friend excited about Jesus, and it was making me excited. And I had some things on my mind Thursday morning, but I was okay because Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is in control, and I can trust Jesus. Good news. And I think I felt the light of Christ shining on my heart last night. I kind of have a routine on Saturday nights. I go to bed a little bit earlier because I get up kind of early on Sunday and I, I try to be focused on Jesus and prayerfully thinking and talking and listening. And, and I was still, in a sense, thinking about some of the things I preached on last week when Jesus says, Love your enemy and bless those who curse you. And I was thinking through a few of my own relationships. You know, we all have our own relationships. And a few of the relationships I feel kind of stuck in. Kind of like I need to, I want to love this person, but I'm not 100% sure how to do it. And I feel stuck. And I, I really did last night. I was kind of getting ready for bed and just kind of prayerfully spending that time with Jesus. And I can say it a few different ways. I, I can say I, I feel like I, I heard the Holy Spirit. Or I could say I kind of felt an imprint of the Holy Spirit. Or I could say the light of Jesus, the morning star, shine on my heart. But I kind of heard the words another way. <laughs> and I just kind of leaned into that. And I just felt like Jesus was saying, yeah, Jeff, I have another way. The way you're trying to go about it's not going to work. It's not my way. It's it's your instincts, it's where, but it's not going to work. You need to follow me, listen to me, and I will lead you into another way, a way of love. Do this with, what we talk about, do this with Jesus. I felt like last, do this with me, and I'm going to show you another way. Okay, it gives me hope. I, don't, I feel stuck, I don't know how to move forward. Okay, Jesus, you're giving me hope. I will trust you, show me another way. Well, that's a little bit of Peter. How about John. Uh, John is John gives us the Gospel of John, uh, the letters uh, first, second, third John, and um, and then it's a little bit more uh, debated, likely the Book of Revelation. I tend to think so. But John, uh, the same John, Peter, John, and James, John and James, the sons of Zebedee. John gives us the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of John was written later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I think John knew of those Gospels, and he was intentionally doing something different. And so he was including many different stories. But he doesn't include the story of the Transfiguration directly or overtly. (laughs) Now, I can't prove this, but as I was sitting with the Transfiguration this week and thinking through, I wonder what John thought of this. I started to think of the beginning of the Gospel of John. I hope you know the beginning of the Gospel of John. If you don't, get to know it. Uh, Scholars will call it a prologue. It's 18 verses. I like to think of it as a theological poem. And usually poetry is motivated by something, right? 
Poetry is often motivated by beauty. And as I was reading and rereading John chapter 1 this week in light of the transfiguration, I can't prove this, but I just wondered. I just wondered if John didn't include the story of the transfiguration because it was his motivation for his theological poem that he begins his gospel with. Again, remember the events. Peter, John, and James wake up and there's Jesus emanating light, the glory of God all around him, Moses, Elijah. So let me read to you John chapter 1, just a few of these verses. I preached on it not that long ago. Just, Just listen to this, though. In the beginning, the Word already existed. In other words, Jesus has always been. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything. God the Father created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. And listen to this, the Word gave life to everything that was created, because that's what God does. God gives life, and His life brought light to everyone. I think it'd be easy for John to think of Jesus and not forget what he saw, experienced, and and just think of, picture Jesus as emanating light. And it's not just any light, it's the light that shines in the darkness, and I love this. It's a verse worth memorizing. The darkness can never extinguish it. In fact, if you want to know more about that, come back next week because we're going to look at the temptation narrative of Jesus and Satan. We'll talk about how Jesus overcomes the darkness. John says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John was not the light. I met John. He was not the light. He wasn't emanating light. Jesus is the light. (laughs) John was simply bearing witness to tell about the light. Verse 9, the one who is the true light, the one who gives light to everyone, the, line, the one from whom light just comes. It's coming into the world. Verse 14, so the word became human. The word became flesh. This word who has always been became flesh and he made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, or we could say full of grace and truth. And what does he say? We've seen, his only, we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This is my Son, my chosen one, the beloved one. Listen to him. I mean, just think, it's, it's possible. It's possible that the transfiguration is the beautiful moment that inspires this poem. And then it ends this way. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to I mean, this is where it gets really fun. John's having fun. It's really fun here. Because you read through the Old Testament, there's all these what they call theophanies. There's these, these uh, experiences of God, but you never see God. You never see the face of God. Throughout the Old Testament, there's this, if you see the face of God, you can't live. You can't, anybody who's seen the face of God won't live. And so we only see the bottom of his sandals. We see the platform he's standing on. Or there's this great moment in Exodus where Moses asks, it's Moses, he asks to see the glory of God. And God's like, all right, but I'm going to tuck you into the cleft of the mountain. I'm going to walk by, and you can only see the tail end of my robe. You can only see my back. And John's having fun with this. Paul will have fun with this in 2 Corinthians. Because now, it used to be no one can see the face of God and live. Now it's you have to see the face of God in Jesus to live. (laughs) Because God has revealed who he is in the person of Jesus. God has become one of us so that we can know him. This is good news. 
Good news, I hope you're responding to the light of the morning star as it shines in your heart this morning. It's good news. Because Jesus has come into the world and he's bringing light. He's enlightening every person. And if you and I can learn to bring all of our life into the light of Christ, we are going to learn some things. We're going to learn what's true. We're going to learn what's good. We're going to sing about that in a few minutes. We're going to learn what's beautiful. I mean, so many of us have been distracted or, or been promised things, and so we're following these wandering stars, and we're only really learning what's false and what's wrong and what's ugly. We know a lot about what's ugly, don't we? But if we have the courage to step into the light of Christ, He's the light of the world. If we listen to Him, we will learn what's good and what's true, and what's beautiful. John saw Jesus transfigured, and the light was emanating from him. Jesus is not a flashlight to illumine our way through the darkness. You understand, Jesus is the end of the darkness. (laughs) I mean, that's what we mean when we say he's conquered sin and death. He is the end of the darkness. Jesus Christ will eradicate evil when he returns. And that's why we long for his second coming. Jesus is not a flashlight to illuminate our way in the darkness. He's the end of the darkness. You don't need a flashlight anymore. Because his light is so bright, it's all you need. He is the sun. He is the dawn of a new day. He is the bright morning star. And we talk about him this way because I want us to be drawn to his beauty. Now, let me say it this way. And, and maybe you'll believe me, but maybe, maybe you'll kind of laugh and wonder if what I'm saying is true or not. But I'm asking you to trust me on this. First, let me say it this way. Jesus is more interesting than anyone you know. So think about all the people you'd love to spend time with and how cool it would be to hear their... Jesus is more interesting, and he's just waiting to meet with you. And this is where I mean, it's maybe a little funny, but I kind of mean it. And I, and I mean it, I, I'm serious about this in a pastoral way. Jesus is more interesting than anything that's streaming on the internet right now. And I know, like, in your heart, you're like, yeah, I believe that. But, it, but functionality, do we believe that? Again, we are being formed by our culture, and it is getting easier and easier to just stream and stream and stream. The way of Jesus, the way of discipleship, we use the phrase spiritual discipline intentionally because it's not easy. But, but it doesn't have to be all rigorous either if you awaken to the light of Christ shining in your heart and you're fascinated by him. You're captivated by him. You're caught up in his beauty. And you learn, now this might not be where you are today. So just Jesus meets you where you are, not where you're supposed to be, not where you should be. But, but sometimes we're like, oh, I got to read the Bible out of obligation or legalism. No, 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 no. Learn to read the Bible because you're fascinated by Jesus. Learn to read the Bible because Moses is in there. He met Jesus and Elijah's in there and he was on the Mount Transfiguration and they point us to Jesus and there's nobody more interesting than Jesus. Now some of you will read, audio, there's audio Bibles out there. Listen, but interact with the Bible. Be fascinated by Jesus. Well, you say, well, I'm not fascinated by Jesus. I want to be, but I'm not. Well, listen, just hang with me because I was thinking of you this week as well. 
If, if you'll join me in John chapter 7, maybe you feel, maybe you're, maybe you're like, I want to be fast. I'm just not, Jeff. Well, maybe you can identify with the temple guards, and maybe this will give you hope. In John chapter 7, Jesus is talking about his unique relationship with the Father. He's caught up in this love relationship with the Father. and He only does the Father's will, and he's so connected to the Father. And people are getting uncomfortable with what he's saying about his unique relationship with the Father. So in verse 32, the Pharisees hear the crowds talking about what Jesus is saying and kind of liking it. And they and the leading priests then send the temple guards to arrest Jesus. So here's the thing, the temple guards go, and they're, they're intent on arresting Jesus. That's why they're, they're not going to worship him. They're not fast. They're going to arrest him. That's their job, their obligation, their duty. But they're at least going to Jesus. And they go to Jesus, and as they go, a little bit of the light of the morning star starts to shine on their hearts. And they hear Jesus say things like this. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from your hearts. And they hear that. They're like, I'm thirsty. Man, I'm thirsty. I feel empty. I'm living without much hope. I don't have much purpose. I'm I'm meandering. I'm wandering. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry for more. My soul is incomplete. I'm broken. I'm broken. I'm not worthy to go to a holy man. What do I do? And they hear Jesus say, oh, if you're thirsty, you can just come to me. You don't have to fix yourself up. You just come to me, and I will give you waters that will satisfy your soul forever, and you will never, ever thirst again. And they hear Jesus, and they go to arrest him. They go out of obligation, but they hear, and the light of Christ begins to shine in their hearts. And then when we get a few verses later, what happens? They come back and they didn't bring Jesus. And the temple priests in verse 45 are like, the, the, the Pharisees and the leading priests are like, why would you bring him? And they're like, you don't understand. Nobody talks like this guy. Maybe you should go. We're fascinated by him. Because the light of Christ has begun to shine and it's going to shine more and more. And it just draws us into Jesus because there's nobody like him. There's nobody like Jesus. Well, we talked about Peter and John. Peter, I feel good about. John's a bit of a guess, but James. James, we really would have to guess. We don't have much from the mouth of James. There is a James in the book of the New, in the Bible, a book of the Bible in the New Testament, but it's Jesus' brother, not John's brother. Why don't we have much from James? Well, because in Acts chapter 12, we're told about that time King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. And he had the Apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. I mean, that was James's story. This is part of what's happening with the transfiguration and how it functions in the gospel narrative. Peter, John, and James are told to listen as Jesus will continue to teach them what being the beloved son is going to require. And certainly they will see him again in heavenly glory, but not yet. The transfiguration was only a foretaste, a memorable, reassuring, empowering foretaste of the ultimate future beyond the cross. First, the disciples must follow Jesus on his way to the cross. And that's the story of James. That's the story of Peter, too, a little bit later. 
But, you know, I started reading from Luke chapter 9, and it says about eight days later. Well, what was going on? Well, this is, this is how Mark, Matthew, and Luke all present this. Jesus asked the questions, who do people say that I am? And, well, John the Baptist or one of the disciples or maybe Elijah back from the dead. And Jesus asked the question that all of us need to wrestle with, all of us need to answer, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the good news. I hope that the light of Christ shines in your heart when you hear that declaration. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, all right, you got it. And that was revealed to you. It's revelation. That was re- you didn't get that on your own. That was revealed to you by the Father. But you had the capacity to believe, and you believe it, and you're trusting it. And it's great. So, Peter, let me take you to the next place. Now we're going to Jerusalem to suffer, and I'm going to die. And Peter says, not on my watch, Jesus. I'm a winner and not a loser. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. We'll talk more about that temptation next week. And then after the transfiguration, I mean, before the transfiguration in the Gospels, it's all happy, joyous, big crowds, everything's going well. After the transfiguration, it's straight to Jerusalem and the crucifixion. And that's what we're going to lean into as we enter into the season of Lent. So I want to remind you of the good news. Peter begins it. And then I want to talk a little bit about the church calendar and then we'll be done. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But we've learned that we can go farther than that. This is just some other revelations, good news, declarations that we get in other parts of the New Testament. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the wisdom and power of God. He is the one who became poor so we could become rich. Jesus is the one who washes us clean, the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. He's the Christ of unsearchable riches. He's the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess his lordship. He is the image of the invisible God in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He's the Lord of glory and the great physician. He's the cornerstone and the chief shepherd of the sheep. He's the one able to keep you from stumbling in this dark world. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end, the first and the last, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who Jesus is. The disciples got a foretaste of that on the mountain transfiguration. And then we get the full revelation of it on Easter Sunday. (laughs) But we don't rush to Easter Sunday. We're about to enter into the season of Lent, which is why I wanted to end with James, because we're preparing our way to head to the cross. And I've been reminding you as we go through how the church calendar is supposed to function. We won't do it every year like we're doing it this year. We're learning it this year, though I'm sure I'll reference it in the future. So those of you who choose to arrange your time around Jesus, instead of when it's time to buy this or that, you can continue to follow the church calendar. And if you practice the church calendar every year, what what are the things that you will learn? We talked about this last week even. You will learn that you will go through seasons of Advent, seasons of waiting. But you will know, because you've practiced the church calendar, that as you wait for God to come, he always comes. Christmas always follows Advent. (laughs) And once he comes, he will reveal himself to you. You will have your own epiphany. The morning star of Christ will shine in your heart, and you will have stories that you can't tell without mentioning the name of Jesus. This will happen. And there will be joy and, and laughter, and it'll be great. But... But before too long, Jesus will remind you that you and I have to take up our cross. And that's where we go from Epiphany into Lent. And we head to our own death. And we walk, and we walk with seriousness. It's a solemn journey. We walk with sorrow and pain. 
But we know that, that Lent always leads to Good Friday. But Good Friday is always followed by Easter. <laughs> and so we'll get to Easter and we will celebrate everything in Christ. Nothing in Christ remains dead. It all comes back to life. New creation, resurrection. But we want to prepare. And so I'm going to give us one thing that we can do to prepare. We, kind of, we actually have talked about this the last few years, but I want to invite you to really consider fasting. It's about, I think, 46 days. You fast 40 of those days. You feast on Sundays. So I think there's six Sundays. So I think, you, I think you fast for 40 days. You feast for six days. But we prepare for Easter. We journey through Lent. One of my friends says it this way, Fasting is a way to place ourselves in the way of grace by withdrawing our reliance on earthly things so that we can feast on God's presence and power. Or the way I like to say it, we practice fasting. We, we, we're very countercultural. We say no to something we can have, so we say yes to something we want even more. You identify something you want, and you can have it, but you, because you're following Jesus and you're preparing yourself, you're training in Lent, you say no to something you can have, so you can say yes to something you want more, which is Jesus. You want to awaken. You want to, as Peter would say, pay attention to the morning star shining on your heart. So what are some examples of this? Well, let me, let me give you a few questions and then a few examples. Maybe you think about these. You have till Wednesday. You, you begin fasting Ash Wednesday, and then you fast until Easter Sunday, again, feasting every Sunday before that. But maybe these are a few questions to sit with. What cravings have a hold on you? I know you have cravings because you live in a consumeristic culture that's constantly preying on your cravings. What cravings have a hold on you? Sit with Jesus on that. Maybe, as Jesus talks about a new exodus, what would be truly liberating to leave behind? Is there anything in your life, I've gotten too attached to that, I'm in too much bondage to that, I I, I just keep going there on my phone all the time, any free moment I get, like I'm just, it would be liberating to not be held down by this stuff or this activity. Short of an addiction, have I become dependent on a particular food, drink, substance, or activity? What would be really challenging for me to give up during Lent? It would be really hard. Or maybe you just sit with Jesus and say, Jesus, you know me better than I know myself. What would you have me give up? But I'm going to invite you, as part of our church family, to choose something and to fast. Fast from foods associated with feasting, like chocolate or desserts, or I hate to even say this, but coffee. I'm wrestling with that one. I don't know. Fast from media, like Cell phone, TV, streaming video, radio, music, email, computers, video games. Fast from habits or comforts. Think about this. Fast from shopping or looking in the mirror or elevators or parking in a spot close to the store or finding the shortest checkout line or reading online or following sports. Just pick one thing or maybe two things and sit with Jesus and fast. I know it's not going to be easy, but that's the point. That's Lent. We journey with Jesus to the cross, to our death. And then when Easter comes, we feast. (laughs) And we experience that resurrection life. So however you decide to fast during Lent, approach it as an experiment in grace. The point is to create space in our souls to feast on the presence of Jesus in our midst. To let his light shine in our hearts. And I want to invite you to celebrate the gospel as you fast. 
It's not, woe is me, I'm fasting. It's Jesus is alive and I'm feasting on his presence. (laughs) And be looking for God's grace to meet you and to transform you so you have your own story of transfiguration. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, that's that's where we want to meet you this morning. We want to invite you to go on this journey. Jesus, we want to pay attention to you. We want to fix our gaze on you. You are our fixed star, our polar star, our north star. You help us know our true north. You are the light that shines in the darkness. In you there is no darkness. And you show us what is good and true and beautiful. We want lives that are filled with good and truth and beauty. That's what we want. And Jesus, some of us are really, some of us might not be, but some of us are really considering fasting. We're even kind of haunted by the idea we're going to need you to do it. And we're going to need your grace because we might not be able to keep our fast perfectly. We may find ourselves like Peter, John, and James. We're asleep and you're praying. We were going to pray. We fell asleep. Oh, we're sorry. But here's what I want us to hear. As we're celebrating the gospel, as we go on this journey, even if we fall asleep, even if we lose focus a little bit, when we wake up, you're emanating light. (laughs) When we wake up, we are on the Mount of Transfiguration with you. You're just meeting us where we are, and you're just continuing to invite us deeper into this journey, further up and further into your kingdom. So Jesus, we want to follow you. We believe, we pray, help us with our unbelief journey with us, go before us, behind us, above us, below us, beside us, and within us, and lead us deeper into your kingdom. Lord, that's what we want. That is life to the fullest. That is abundant life. That will quench every thirst in our soul, and we long for that. And we look to you and you alone to be the fountain that quenches our thirst. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.